On the agenda today, balancing the books, members of the Alexandria City Council are currently considering an $880 million budget. So what the heck is in it and what's not in it and why should anybody care? Agenda Alexandria is here to help you understand the proposed fiscal year budget for 2024. Monday, March 27th, we'll be hosting a panel discussion at the Lyceum with Budget Director Morgan Rout, former city councilman and Agenda Alexandria founding member David Speck, former city councilman Frank Fannin, and former school board member Ronnie Campbell. And we definitely want to see you at the Lyceum. Uh, but while we're waiting, we thought it would be a good idea to dig into the budget a little bit and see what's in it. And we have the best guest here to help us understand what we should be thinking about this document and what questions we should be asking about it. We're joined by an associate professor at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. He's an Alexandria resident living in Old Town North. Alan Shark, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, glad to be here and glad to be of help. All right. So um, so you're recommending that our listeners, uh, take a, in order to take a critical eye at the budget, they would need to look at seven different things. Surplus or deficit, debt level, credit rating, reserves, economic growth, unfunded pension liabilities, and revenue diversification. So that's a really great frame for our conversation on this podcast. So I want to take all seven of those bullet points one at a time, starting with that first one, surplus or deficit. So the city is planning a deficit of $12.3 million for FY 2025. And then if you look at the out years, it goes up to like $60 million deficit for FY 2028. So, Professor Shark, what do we make of that sort of deficits in the near future and as far as the eye can see? Well, one thing about a budget, when people are, you know, listing deficits, the first thing that comes to mind, and I say this half jokingly, it means they're being honest, you know, as opposed to if everything <laughs> looked perfect, then you'd say, wait a minute, that's too good to be true. We do know that the city has a lot of obligations uh, for sewer mitigation. And those costs are going to rise. So we know that. We know that general expenses are going up. Uh, so when you look at surplus or deficit, you're looking at what are the items that are growing the most? Um, are they growing out of, uh, out of proportion based on prior years? And why? I mean, a budget, and this is, I think, the overriding thing that I look at, is what makes this year different than last and the other thing, there's actually an eighth bullet that I want to add, and that is um, this whole idea of, of, of context. But we'll come back to that. Let's stay with the surplus or deficit that you mentioned. How mm -hmm. does this compare with previous years? And clearly, they're projecting out uh, in terms of you know, what up to 2028, I believe. And so it's telling us a story. This is very important. But that eighth thing comes in, and I want to say that in all of these things, it really has to come at what are the assumptions? What are the underlying circumstances that that we have to also be looking at? I think in the case of the surplus or deficit being somewhat specific, it is about uh, some required mandates by the federal government and the state government. So we know the expenses are there. And then the other question is, okay, how does the revenue, how can we make the revenue work? And of course, if, uh, if, if, we, if the city could do that, they would do that very easily. But there's obviously been a pushback on uh, real estate taxes and other kind of taxes. So we're living in an environment when people want tons of services and they don't want to pay as much 
um, uh, for them. So, and, and then we have a down economy at this moment in time. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's like a perfect storm where we really know expenses um, and we're trying to be careful about the revenue lines and being realistic because we know that uh, if a city is not, um, they will face the voters in the next year. Yeah, well, to that point, I think one of the headlines, of course, about the budget is no change to the tax rate. So the tax rate will stay the same. You actually might end up, of course, paying a higher tax bill um, because the value of your property has probably gone up. But um, but headline uh, in terms of our listeners, no change in the tax rate. So we so we talked about deficits here projected in the near future and well into the out years. Let's talk about the next bullet point here, which is debt level. So um, Alexandria's debt service is currently $83 million, and that's expected to double over the next decade. So the city takes on debt in six different areas. General fund supported debt service, sanitary sewer debt service, stormwater management debt service, Potomac Yard debt service, which is paid for by the Potomac Yard generated tax and developer revenues. And then finally, landmark debt service. So, Professor Shark, what do we make of the debt level here that the that the city of Alexandria is taking on right now? Well, I think the most important thing to recognize is that local governments, unlike the federal government, have to have a balanced budget, which puts tremendous pressure on any city or any county in this country. Uh, Alexandria is no exception, even though it's one of the by far one of the better managed uh, cities. In the in the entire country, I'm I'm so happy to be uh, a citizen here. I'm very proud to uh, to be that. But on the other hand, the reality is that we know that uh, if if there is a uh, moratorium on raising property taxes, which is one of the major sources of revenue, then you have to make it up somewhere. You have to submit a balanced budget, and so in many cases, it makes sense to um, take on debt to invest in the future. Uh, by doing things today that will have large paybacks later on. My guess is that at some point when the uh, the debt uh, is satisfied and we can stabilize some of the things that we're doing, I mean, we're still, we're not a mature city at this point. We're still going through tremendous growth. And so therefore the question is, uh, how do we invest in that growth now when you have developers willing to invest? You have people willing to come in to these new projects uh, that are, are being built or being proposed. That leads to a, a larger tax base in the long run, people who are going to dine here and spend money. And it's it's part of economic uh, development. So debt is not a terrible thing. In fact, debt is important. And I don't know of any city or county that doesn't have debt. What is critical to debt is your next bullet, which is credit rating. Well, because... actually, b- before we get into credit rating, actually, I, just, sure. I want to stay on debt for just one minute here. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of our listeners would make a distinction between taking on debt for sanitary sewer debt service or stormwater management debt service. And that's kind of, that's one thing, right? But it's something totally different to take on debt for Landmark or Potomac Yard. So talk about that a little bit, because, you know, some of our listeners, and you hear this in Alexandria, you know, there's this fear that the city is being overdeveloped. And here the city is taking on actual debt for redevelopment of Landmark and Potomac Yard. So is that a responsible way to take on debt? My first answer is I don't have all the details, but generally speaking, the answer is it's a value judgment. And to the extent that it makes sense to have, in this case, a Nova in a Landmark serve as a major anchor, 
uh, kind of portends many business opportunities that will, you know, last many, many decades. And the Potomac Yard, which had no economic value for the most part, that's gone through, you know, a major transformation and now going through another transformation uh, leads to greater economic growth. Now, people may complain about the potential for congestion and traffic and the need for additional services. But the bigger picture is that this does actually help the city. It brings in a high clientele. It brings in more spending. Uh, it brings in more people to the tax base. Uh, it is better use of the properties themselves. I mean, high density property does yield uh, better returns. Um, and the uh, the days of you know you could have you know, sprawling lands with you know one house here and one house there. Those days are long gone. And that's why we see so many developers looking at underutilized property and seeing, well, here's here's a, a nice office building in the middle. It's surrounded by outdoor parking. If they could take that whole piece of property, put the parking underground, they're going to be able to realize a greater return. The city is a partner in this. People are investing billions. So the amount that the city is proposing by way of debt is relatively small compared to the investments made in the private sector. So it is a good partnership if the vision is to maximize the property for the best use possible. And then moving on here to credit rating. So you started talking about this earlier, but Alexandria has a great credit rating. It's triple A. And not only is it triple A, but more than one of these credit rating agencies has declared it as being triple A. As a matter of fact, there are two of them, which makes Alexandria something known as a double triple A uh, credit rating. So, um, but I, I will note for our listeners that there are more than two credit rating agencies and our neighbor uh, Arlington has a triple, triple A credit rating, which they like to trash talk Alexandria as having only a double, triple A credit rating. Professor Shark, does this make any difference? Not between the A's. Um, where it would make a difference if it's below that and double A and it goes down from there. It's a very intricate list. And the difference between Alexander Arlington is, is, is very minuscule and it really is not going to make much of a difference. But when it comes to debt level, um, credit ratings are very, very important generally. And, and, and the reason is that the, uh, the lower the rating, the more you have to pay in interest. And when you look at the amounts that that any city or county is, is is forecasting, that could you know result in millions of dollars. And so, to the extent that a city can show that it is creditworthy in its business operations, and that uh, it uh, has been looked at as being you know well managed, um, that goes a long way for many reasons. One, it should make citizens feel really good about how the budget is being uh, administered. Now. We may have our differences about density. We may have our differences about many sub-issues. But when it comes to how the city finances things, you know, then they're doing a fantastic job, which in the end means that the amount in which they are turning to the debt uh, is something that can be best managed by having the best ratings. And we're right up there. Hmm. Okay, so moving on to the next bullet point here, reserves. So I took a look at uh, the part of the budget that talks about contingent reserves, um, which it sets aside about $1.7 million for contingent reserves, which, by the way, is about half of what the city set aside last year because of they, they note changes to climate change initiatives and out-of-school time were moved to different departments. And then there was funding for a weekend zoning administrator that was moved to the employee compensation section of the budget. So they're kind of moving parts and pieces around here. I, I will note that the largest contingency item here 
is for undesignated city council programming, which is interesting because at the end of the budget cycle, the city council members love to put their Christmas tree ornaments on, on this thing. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, they've got $500 million set aside for whatever the city council wants to add to the budget process, which clearly they're going to add stuff. Um, also $490 million for Alexandria Innova Hospital, which um, is going to change the numbers based on expanded Medicaid eligibility. There's $400,000 in here for early childhood services, $300,000 in here for a pay incentive for city employees to use their language skills on a regular basis. Um, so what do we make of the contingent reserves here in the city budget? Well, reserves really is like Anyone would, um, you know, look at their own financial situation. I mean, there are people who live on the edge from paycheck to paycheck, and I feel for them. In an ideal world, what we should be doing is set aside money for a rainy day. And reserves are all about having money for the unforeseen expense. It could be a, a snowmageddon, although with global warming, I guess I don't see that. Um, but what if all, all of a sudden trees started to die all over the place because they couldn't keep up with the climate? These are unexpected events that occur. And so any city um, that is well-managed always tries to maintain reserves. You don't want to spend every penny. You want to be able to put something aside for the just-in-case, something um, that uh, didn't make its way to the budget but suddenly needs to be taken care of. And these things these things happen all the time. And so it's always a challenge when you have so many needs and so many requirements for spending uh, to put money aside. It is a discipline. I do that personally. Um, but uh, I think in terms of looking at a budget, at least there is a figure. Uh, someone could ask, um, why isn't it more? Although I think you've given part of that answer. Um, and, and what do they hope to have? What is the, the, the proper balance? That's, that's really a, a subjective kind of thing, but it's not a bad question to ask. Well, the next question we're going to ask is about economic growth, um, which, so the, if you look at the proposed budget, uh, there's an expectation of growth in several parts of the revenue stream here, that they're expecting growth for jobs in Alexandria, so citywide private jobs. Then there's also expected growth for business receipts, transient, transient lodging tax, gross sales receipts, gross meals tax receipts. Um, which, you know, clearly people are expecting Alexandria to continue to grow. Um, is this the kind of growth that's expected? Is it too much? Is it too little? What do we make of the economic growth here? Well, I can't answer the specifics. I mean, that's what the city officials are going to have to do. But I can tell you as a citizen and one who's looked at the budget, um, I'm not sure that's unrealistic. I, I, I look at all the growth that's coming uh, coming about, the new hotel hotels that are opening, the occupancy rate of, of hotels. Um, there isn't a weekend I don't see tourists and more and more of them coming to this area. This is one of the hottest areas in the in the country. It's right in the top five uh, for destination vacations. We have people going to National Harbor, but coming over here on the ferry taxi. So. Um, if we have more and more tourists, and this seems to be a hallmark for that, there's every reason to believe that uh, that many of these projections will probably come true. I'd love to see them exceeded. And what does that mean? It means exactly what those budget lines are predicting. And they are only predictions. Um, and that is that um, more people will go out to the restaurants. There are many restaurants and they are becoming more and more full. 
Um, and, and there are people who are purchasing things uh, in many of our retail stores. So it's a very vibrant community that seems to attract a lot of people outside of the vibrant community that lives here all year around like myself. So I can't, I'm not an economic expert in terms of the particulars that went into the budget, but overall it seems that it's reasonable to assume that we will continue to grow because this destination continues to be attractive and that seems to be increasing. And then the next thing we want to take a look at is unfunded pension liabilities, which is kind of one of those lurking monsters that lurks in the shadows for governments all across the country, really. States have unfunded pension liability. Local governments have unfunded pension liability. Is this kind of, a, you know, the, the disaster that has yet to strike? Or what should people think about the threat here of unfunded pension liabilities? Well, to my knowledge, um, the pension has been well-funded. Um, there are two pieces to this, however. I mean, one is, well, actually, there are three. One is, are there unfunded pension liabilities? I'm not aware. I mean, if there is, then the city needs to talk about that. They, but the other part of it is, you know, making sure that the investments, given the uncertainty of the market, uh, keeps pace with the uh, pension liability. You know, this is where risk managers have to be very, very careful and make sure that their invest investments are well diversified, that they are being very, very prudent. At the same time, you know, they've got to generate income. Um, this is the key to pension. But there's a third piece that's not really talked about, and that is what will be the implications of collective bargaining agreements? Mm -hmm. To what extent will agreements cause pensions perhaps to rise? And then, you know, how quickly can the city adjust to that? Because usually when there's collective bargaining, one thing that is certain, that means that uh, wages and fringe benefits usually go up. And so there may be contract uh, obligations that will increase over the years. The key is to have our eyes open, be aware of what these things are and make sure they are in the budget and the citizens are aware of it well in advance of when a budget comes out to make sure um, that this is within their, their comfort level. Mm-hmm. And then the final piece here that we wanted to look at was revenue diversification. So Alexandria has had a, I guess, a problem in recent years, or I guess it's been viewed as a problem that so much of the revenue is really tied up here in property taxes. So residential real estate property, that's 37% of the city's revenue. Commercial property is 24% of the city's revenue. Personal property is like 8%. So when you add up the residential property taxes, commercial property taxes, personal property taxes, that's the vast majority of your budget. So that's not really diversified, right? So uh, is that a problem for Alexandria? Well, first of all, I would say it is somewhat diversified. And the problem is that local governments have only so many ways in which to accept or, or get revenue. I mean, when you think about it, um, if you were sitting, you know, as, if you were running a city, you have to look at where your income is going to come from. And traditionally, it is coming from taxes. And those are your three major pools. When you look at other forms of taxes, well, you know, you do have your sales receipts and actual consumer-based uh, kind of consumption. And then you have the possibility, which is so helpful, is grants. And living in this area, you know, many politicians are very well aware. Some actually live here. I'm talking about state and federal uh, employees and politicians. And so they do have an economic interest to see that uh, the cities like this and our neighboring um, cities and counties do well. So to the extent that we can get uh, grants and contracts, which we've been very successful over the years, that 
is a real positive. But you know, there is no magic here. There is just so many ways we can get and derive income. And so when you look at that and say, okay, nobody wants their property taxes to rise, then something has to give. Something has to be let go. Does that mean that we you know, uh, have less fire protection, less police protection, less schools? Um, the decisions are, are very, very difficult. Um, and so I, I have sympathy for any civic leader on the municipal side because the choices are, are fairly difficult and you're dealing with an uncertain economy, you're dealing with an uncertain political environment, um, there's talk of recession, all of which could have an enormous impact uh, on the budget moving forward. So revenue diversification is always a goal. Everyone wants to do that. We acknowledge that. Um, that's the same thing in business. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, you can just walk out and say, oh, yeah, we have to invent a new category and then we'll, everything will be fine. There are limits to what a city or county can do to diversify. Well, one more question on revenue diversification. So we went through the major sources of revenue, which are property taxes. That's the vast majority of the revenue. Um, but I want to walk through the other pizza slices here, the smaller slices in our pie chart, which is federal government, money from the federal government, money from the state government, um, communication sales tax, restaurant food tax, transient lodging, recordation tax, business license tax, utility tax, and sales tax. So, I mean, it, there is diversification in the sense that there are many slices to that pie, but it does seem kind of disproportionate, right? Well, but historically, I, I go back to context. Um, for localities such as Alexandria, it has always been uh, the property taxes that have always been the largest uh, income producer. It's just a fact of life in terms of how governments were formed. Uh, everything was predicated on property. And that is an historical fact. Everything was always predicated. And then the other taxes were added to kind of make up for uh, the deficiencies. And so, yeah, there is a diversification by category, but it is very, very traditional uh, to have the lion's share coming from property taxes. I don't know of any other uh, major form of income that could could compete with those revenue lines. So that uh, is a challenge. Now, can the other areas grow? Yes. Can they grow through use or do they have to grow through increasing the rates? That is up to the city, but those are decisions, but it's not going to yield the same amount as the property taxes. So we're kind of hooked on that. All local governments are. Can other taxes be increased? Probably. Um, will it yield the dramatic results that some may want, uh, probably not. But all things are should be on the table at all times. All right. Well, you're really helping us understand the budget in terms of previewing our March 27th event at the Lyceum. So we definitely want to see you uh, March 27th at the Lyceum. Start at 7 o'clock. We're going to have the budget director for the city, Morgan Rout, uh, plus the former city councilman, David Speck, former city councilman, Frank Fannin, former school board member, Ronnie Campbell. So we definitely want to see you there. Um, but you, Professor Shark, you helped us understand this budget. So we really thank you for doing that. Associate Pro Professor at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University, Alan Shark. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Hope this helps. Thank you.